Welcome to Antelope Road Christian Fellowship. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit myarcf.com. If you need a copy of God's Word, we've got volunteers that are going to hand it out real quick. So just throw a hand up real quick and we're going to get a Bible to you. If you don't own a Bible, please keep it. It's our gift to you. And if you're A-type, I'm just sorry, because I know you want to know the page. It's 833, but we're not going to be there for a very long time. So if you're the kind of person who wants to be prepared, you can turn to Mark chapter 5 right now, starting at verse 21, but it will be a very, very, well, it's 935. We're going to cover a lot of material before we get to Mark chapter 5. So if it keeps bothering you that point after point is a different scripture, Maybe just keep your Bible closed for now, whatever you got to do. The smaller scriptures, smaller sections of scripture I'm going to have up on the screen. Seventy-six years ago today, right? Seventy-six years ago today. Very foreign concept for most of us. The idea that an entire continent needs to be invaded. Right? If you were too young in 1944 or born since, this is the work of the history books. Or maybe we heard about it from our dad or our uncle who was there. Heard about it from our mom who read the papers and and got the latest that way. Invading a continent? That sounds gargantuan. General Eisenhower believed we were going to lose 20 to 25,000 troops in the D-Day invasion. That was his estimate. Not his worst fear, his estimate. The young men, boys really, 18, 19, 20, 21, from the Canada, the UK, from the US, we're going to lose 20 to 25,000 of them in a battle that the front edge was only going to last six to eight hours. By the mercy of God, casualties were far lower than that. But it had to be done. Allied powers believed there was no such thing as total victory in World War II just through air power or even through controlling the seas. Europe herself had to be liberated or there was no point in calling it victory. Allied powers eventually pulled out a win, only to find out some really awful stuff. Okay, so we can win wars with guns and bombs. But how do we win this war inside the human heart? How do we fight evil? We realized as we got into concentration camps and discovered what only a very few people had their worst sneaking suspicions was happening, we realized there was a war that we felt ill-equipped to fight. Sin, evil, wickedness, call it what you want. This particular brand of evil 
dehumanization. That an entire culture with a long history of anti-Semitism, a long history of calling Jews rats, could take all of the economic woes and political woes, which, if we're honest, they came from a lousy treaty at Versailles. An entire generation of Germans had grown up frustrated and with a lot of angst. Turned and scapegoated the Jews doing things that even most Germans were horrified to find out after the fact was going on. How do we fight this war? We figured out the bullets and bombs and boats. We fi- I think we figured that out, but what do we do? What do we do at the human capacity to look at another human being and to downgrade them and say, you are less than me. You're an animal. You're an object like a tree or a rock. You're a demon. You're anything but what God has said you are. How on earth do we fight back against that? Today is the final Sunday of our series called Victory, where we get to, I hope joyfully, search scriptures and find out that some of the biggest bad guys in our world, Christ has already conquered or he has proclaimed that their defeat is coming soon. And the church of Jesus Christ gets to live out that victory day in and day out as an inheritance from our Savior. Today, Victory over dehumanization. Note takers, here's your first blank. Did everybody get sermon notes who wanted them? Throw a hand up if you don't have sermon notes and we will get them to you. Okay, right here, right here. Thank you, Carl. Yeah, keep your hand up, Carl, get to you. The world says this, you have less of the image of God than me. I'm using theological language that I'm about to explain in a minute we would probably say it more like, I am better than you. This is not out and out, you're not a human being, you're not worthy of any respect at all. You're still a human, I'm just better than you. I know, I know, Pastor Greg's barking up the wrong tree. This never happens in 2021. Nobody ever thinks this way. But just in case there's somebody out there thinking this way, we should look into it just a little bit. Here are some of the ways that this manifests, at least in my opinion. The list is probably a mile long. Abusive pay structures to employees, heavily addressed in the Levitical law, paying fair wages on time, especially to those who are poor. How do we treat people with disabilities? Are they less than if their productivity is less than somebody else? That's utilitarianism, right? You're still a human, you're just less than me. Political smears from the left to the right, things like deplorables, from the right to the left, psycholibs or other things. Deplorables is one that's particularly creepy because deplore is a synonym for hate. Deplorable means, man, it's so easy to hate you. I don't know if you've caught up with the news the last six years or so, but hating the other side is quite easy. Quite easy. Belittling jokes, 
chauvinism. If a man is fundamentally better or more important than a woman, do we have a problem? That was a good time to say yes. We have a problem. Extreme feminism. I say extreme because most of, much of what's called feminism today isn't necessarily putting a woman over a man. But when you think that all men are less than, that's the same problem as chauvinism. It's just the other gender, right? If the, if the genders are not equal, we have a problem. Racial slurs, right? Racial slurs don't necessarily label you something as less than human. It can just be, I'm better than you. And in Genesis 1, 26 through 28, God says, nope. Do you guys know the creator of the universe is quite eloquent? The world says you have less of the image of God than me. And God says, nope. Look at this. Moses is writing in the first chapter of the Bible. Then God said, let us make, us, Father, Son, and Spirit. Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. So they look like us and they will be like us accordingly. So if you were Satan and you wanted to tear this down, how would you do it? I don't want them to be like their creator, so I'm going to attack the image. I'm not going to let them know that they look like their creator. They, humanity, not just the man or not just the woman, they are equal to the fish in the sea. Did I read that right? Oh, no, I read it wrong, didn't I? Oh, my goodness. So humanity is not the same as fish. We're not equal. We reign over the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, and all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. And in case you're taking uh, the um, abuse of power that sin does and you're worried right now because you love animals, Adam was charged to care for the garden, not destroy it. Amen? Humanity being over animals is for the blessing of those animals. Doesn't mean you can't eat a chicken I have three in my backyard giving me a lot of trouble. If you're hungry, just let me know. <laughs> Humanity is given, given a governing role over the created order, the entire earth, for the blessing and stewardship of it. To, to be a blessing the way that God is a blessing. But that does not make us equal. Okay? So, no offense, that whole Mother Earth concept... Earth, Earth did not create us. We are not equal. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created the male and female. He created them. A lot of biblical scholars live in different places all over the world, so especially the last 500 years, but really before that. It became very common to take the biggest theological concepts and give them names in Latin because the highly studied individuals, whether you're living your whole life in German or Italian or French or what have you, everybody knew a little bit of Latin. In the Latin Vulgate, this phrase is imago dei, dei of God. So whether, no matter what country you're in, you read big books, 
And what, what language that book is, they're going to talk about Imago Dei. Entire books written on the Imago Dei. Why? Because if I'm not made in the image of God, what can you do to me? How can you treat me? How can I treat you? If there's not something divine stamped onto me, my, my creator's fingerprints, there are tremendous problems that flow downstream from not having this doctrine solidly in place. The world says, you have less of the image of God than I do. And God says, say it with me, church, nope. The world says, you are a thing. You can call this objectification. You're just an object. You're a thing. Here are just a few examples. People who'd like to argue that abortion is a moral good got tired of losing debates to Muslims, Jews, Christians who kept going, no, abortion is terrible. They got tired of losing every part of the debate related to the humanity of a child in the womb. They could relabel fetus, but they're still losing the debate on when even the state of California says life is life. Heartbeat, brain waves, responsiveness to being pricked, or um, the ability to respond to pain. They were losing, losing, losing. So somebody came up with a personhood theory of a fetus to sidestep all these arguments. The personhood theory is this. Sure, it's a human, but humanity doesn't confer personhood automatically. You're not necessarily a person just because you're a human. Does that sound like Nazi excrement to you? That sounds like something that a Nazi would say about a Jew. Yeah, 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 sure, you're a human. I'll, I'll concede all of those points. Doesn't mean you're a person. This is a way of telling you that your child is a thing. Pornography. Not only am I going to reject God's beautiful provision for what sex is supposed to be, I'm going to throw out a woman's creativity. I'm going to throw out her hopes and dreams. I'm going to throw out her intellect. I'm going to throw out her capabilities. And I'll just use a picture of her for selfish means. I don't want you. I just want you can do what you can do for me. So it's perilously close. Perilously cr close to sex for money. You're just an object. And we do this in the name of freedom of speech. That's what our government has decided. Freedom of speech is what allows us to objectify other human beings and it doesn't matter how much data comes down the pipe of men in prison who have raped and murdered women that virtually all of them had extreme pornography addiction. It doesn't matter how often we prove it. We're just going to keep drinking it up. Because you are a thing. 
and I'm a willing participant because if I'm a thing and I'm insecure about how pretty I am, I'll just put my picture out there on the interwebs, see how many likes and shares and get all that validation I didn't get when I was growing up. I'll be a thing for you. If you'll give me affirmation that I am beautiful, that I'm worth something, I'll degrade myself, I will. This is abuse in all directions, folks. Or what about actually purchasing and selling, using and abusing a human being for their labor, for sex? Is that not making somebody an object? You're just a thing. You're not a person. You're not made in the image of God. You're just a thing. In Matthew 26, God says, nope. Listen to this, if you've never read this part of the Bible in particular. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the 12 disciples, went to the leading priests and asked, how much will you pay me to betray Jesus to you? And they gave him 30 pieces of silver. From that time on, Judas began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. Why would Jesus allow himself to be sold for a slave's price? That was standard purchasing fee for a slave at the time. Why would the God-man allow this to happen to him? Why would he allow himself to be trafficked? Because he's going to experience every horrifying thing that we deserved in our sin. He's going to go to a cross that allows the forgiveness of sin so humanity can be reconciled to the Father a reconciled humanity, an adoption where he's our father and we are sons and daughters of the Most High? Wow, that sounds like I finally know who I am. I'm an adopted son of the Most High and I only got there because he went to his cross. Some of us will not truly deep down, we will not really embrace the truth that we're not a thing until we can see the beauty of the cross for what it is. When I can see what a high price, my Father and the Son and the Spirit, the whole entire triune God, what a high price they paid to redeem me, to reconcile me, to adopt me into this family. When I see that high price, I go, oh, I must be more than a thing. I must be, or God's an idiot. Why would you suffer and die for a bunch of things? for a bunch of robots or rocks or trees. Why would you go through that? There must be something that I'm not seeing. Something my dad didn't affirm in me. Something the abuse that I've experienced beat out of me. Maybe I used to think I was worth something, but I don't anymore. And Why is Jesus treating me with such love and affection? Why would he save me? I must be more than a thing. The world says you are a sin. 
You are the bad thing that you did. You're a sin. You like how the news media, the phrase illegal aliens, awesome, because everybody loves being labeled according to what they did. Don't you? Isn't that a warm blanket on your soul? Anybody ever here, here's your chance, anybody here ever in your whole life told a lie? Anybody, this is, a, this, your elbow needs to be extended, it just goes like this. Okay, all right, so liars, I need to talk to you. I'm gonna teach you the Bible, you bunch of liars, right? I'm not gonna call you ARCF, I'm not gonna call you brothers and sisters, I'm not gonna say, hey, church family, I'm just gonna call you liars because it's doctrinally accurate. And you should call me liar because it's doctrinally accurate. Not very fun, is it? Do you know you can be totally technically correct and still be a jerk? If you have a lot of bumper stickers on your car that are in all caps, you might not know that. That might be new information for you. So, I think I've shared with you guys before, I saw this bumper sticker, I've seen it only once, and I just belly laughed. I was driving around downtown, and somebody had this big bumper sticker that in all caps said, extreme inflammatory opinion. Well, I don't know who this is, but their sense of humor is amazing. Does Jesus identifies, when Jesus looks at a human being, does he primarily see what we've done? Does he primarily see what we've done? Because I think the cross just totally sweeps that away. The cross is this loud declaration of like, your sin is between me and my father and I'm not okay with that. I'm gonna deal with your sin no matter how much it costs me. I can't wait till we get to the other side of this and you respond in faith and I can call you son or I can call you daughter, right? The whole illegal alien thing is a political football. I don't think that there should actually be for Christians a whole lot of debate over does a country have a right to make laws? But do Christians have a right to say, under Christ, we're not going to look at people primarily based on what they've done. We're gonna look at people primarily through the mercy of God that's waiting for them. I also think, and this is an issue where I feel like the right is overly legalistic. There are definitely issues on the left. I'm not sure many of us have spent time thinking about what we would do. Now that I've got three babies, um, if I think about America degenerating into an eight-way civil war and drug cartels control different neighborhoods, I need you guys to know that I love you. I need you guys to know that I love my country. But if bullets are flying and people are dying everywhere, Cabrina, Gabriel, and Abigail two of them under my arm, one of them under Emily's arm, bye. There are people every single day that walk away, physically walk away from countries they love because their country has become a hellhole. Some things deserve more Christian compassion and less politicization. Some things deserve a little bit more humanity. 
What about a woman who's chosen to abort? Or a boyfriend or a husband who pressured her into it, maybe drove her there? The church is more than capable, because our Savior does it, of saying, this baby was a human life, this was absolutely, completely morally wrong. And at the same side saying, hey, our gospel is one of mercy and grace and there's nothing that anybody has ever done that was so wrong that it was more powerful than the cross. We get to say both of those. In fact, we have to because that's what the book says. Your name is not aborter or murderer. Like, that's not who you are. If it was, all the church kids would have a big problem with Moses because when I mention Moses, the first thing to your mind is not that he killed a guy. He talked with God face to face. His face shined. He led the Israel, the parting of the water. What? We think of all these cool things, and he was a murderer. Well, yeah, but, I mean, come on. He did some cool stuff, too. What about David? Well, D- D- David, he slaughtered a bunch of Philistines, and he did this. And, oh, my gosh, wow, David's so awesome. Yeah, don't you remember the Bathsheba incident? Well, you know, everybody does something. Yeah, but yeah. Do you know why he killed Uriah? Because he'd already slept with his wife and was trying to hide a pregnancy. Ooh, yeah, right? If we don't have a merciful God, you get cuts in the line to hell for that kind of stuff. All in line, trying to get into hell. They're like, oh, David's here. Oh, David, here, you go to the front. That was shady. And that's the man after God's own heart. God over and over again because he has justice, but he is love. That's what the Bible says. He is love. Is choosing to say, yes, you sinned, and no, that's not who you are. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on criminal. This is just a title that we use in the news. It totally strips down all of the nuance of what actually happened, I would like to point out, just in case you're too much on your hobby, your high horse looking at others, the British Crown for 12 years was dealing with criminals that kept shooting their soldiers, and when we won, we had our own country. Criminal is a term that is defined by one group to say, you broke our rules, and maybe if you're rebelling, you're saying, no, we're writing our own rules. It's a very subjective word. Pastor David Stone says this, Satan knows your name, but he calls you by your sin. Jesus knows your sin, but he calls you by your name. Church family, who do we want to behave more like? To this accusation, you are a sin. You know what God says? Nope. Take a look at what the Apostle Paul, a first century pastor, says in 2 Corinthians 5. Talking to Christians. So we are Christ's ambassadors. 
God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. This is a dynamic equivalent, so it tends to take, interpret for theological, potential theological issues if you're new to the Bible. A more word-for-word translation said, God made him who knew no sin, intimate knowledge, he had no intimate knowledge of sin because he'd never done it, to, who knows the verb? Be sin. Holy cow. You want to know what happened on the cross? Jesus Christ became, at least in Paul's mind, he became your sins and mine. He took them onto himself so completely that for the first time since eternity passed where he had only experienced the joy, admiration, and love of the Father, all of a sudden he's sitting under his anger and wrath at sin because he became sin. So how are you supposed to be a sin when Jesus already did that? Huh? Did you find some sin that Jesus forgot to drag with him to the cross? He left one behind? And you have access to this one sin, this one thing that really bothers you, that gives you the most shame. Jesus forgot to take that one to the cross, and so you grab it, and you slap it on your shoulder, that scarlet A. You can only be named for a sin if Jesus forgot to die for that. Is Jesus forgetful? Is he stupid? Is he wicked? He's going to die for everybody else's favorite sins, but he's not going to die to wash away yours. You can't be a sin. Really, except one way. Are you guys ready for the bad news? Jesus, I know you died for all sins. I just have no interest in receiving that gift whatsoever. I'd rather pay for my own sins, even though they've already been. I'm reconciled to the Father if I desire that gift and I, and I want it, but I'm just not interested. I can keep my sins on me if I want to. That's free will. God's not gonna force us to love him to joyfully submit to his leadership over us. That's the only way. Everybody spends so much energy talking about heaven and hell, like, oh, this is where everything's happy and this is where everything's sad. That's one way to look at it. There's another way to look at it. Heaven is the place for everybody who is excited that Jesus is in charge gladly submitting to the lordship of Christ because we trust him. Hell is where you go when you do not trust him to be in charge and you say, I want to do it my way. It's about perceived autonomy in part. The world says, you're a sin. God says, nope. The world says, you're an animal. This is Odabenga. I forget which country he's from. I believe Togo. He spent two years in the zoo in the Bronx, New York, 
on display from 1904 to 1906. Let me backtrack just a bit. He was on the other side of the bars. He did not pay a nickel, come through, eat a ham sandwich, and leave when the kids were getting fussy. He was inside the zoo. I thought animals are in zoos. And this is the start of the 20th century when we are waving all these flags called progress. Is this progress? When you drink deeply of atheistic evolution and you go, yeah, this is true, within 40 years, this is what you get. You're less evolved than me, so you belong on that side of the bars. Bloodhound Gang in 1999, the top song that was on the charts for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. Baby, you and me, we ain't nothing but mammals. So let's do it like they do it on Discovery Channel. Super catchy, huh? It rhymes. It's cute. Except that I'm calling you an animal. I'm calling myself an animal as an excuse for animalistic behavior. The song Animals by Maroon 5 is still on the radio. It's even worse. Let's think about our language, obscenities. How many obscenities, demeaning somebody else, are an animal or a reference to an animal? Stop and think about it for a second. the one time in church where you don't want to have an out loud sharing time. (laughs) But just think about it. A lot of the names we call each other are animals. Leading up to the Rwandan genocide in 1994, who can remember the majority Hutu's favorite name for the Tutsi minority? Anybody remember? Cockroaches. Cockroaches was a normal name. And then tens of thousands and tens of thousands and tens of thousands of people get macheted and we're horrified. How did that happen? Well, what do you do to cockroaches, folks? You squish them and no, you don't feel guilty about it. I spent a long time telling myself that you're an animal, telling you that you're an animal, and then my animalistic behavior really shouldn't surprise. Do you know what God says? Say it with me, church. Nope. 800 years before Jesus, prophet Isaiah said this, but he was pierced for our rebellion. Who's the he? Jesus was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. That's day of atonement language. 
where the priest would put his hand on the head of the animal, symbolically passing on the sins of the people to the animal. It could also be scapegoat language, confer the sins of the people onto the scapegoat. So this animal is either going to get slaughtered or run out of the camp. Either way, it is a symbol of the sins being dealt with elsewhere so humans don't have to suffer the consequences of their sin. God mercifully provides a lamb. Who's Isaiah talking about? He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Especially if you're not sure yet what you think of Jesus, I need you to know, Jesus was already treated like an animal. He allowed it. He saw the joy that God had for him on the other side of the cross. He saw all these children redeemed to himself and he submitted to it. Father, not my will, but yours be done. Why on earth do you need to be treated like an animal when Jesus already has been? He allowed himself to be treated like an animal to reconcile you to God so that in part, one of many blessings that flows out of that, you'll know who you are and know how valuable you are. Guys, the emperor has no clothes. Every Disney movie for 30 years has been trying to say you're special, you're a snowflake, you're awesome, and there's been no foundation to the claims that they make. Why are you special? Why are you awesome? Why are you... There's no foundation given because Disney's going to cut out a bunch of their customer base if they say, well, the Bible's true. They're not going to say that. They don't believe it. What is special about a human being? Except that angels are not made in the image of God. Animals are not made in the image of God. Rocks and trees are not made in the image of God. The stars and the planets are not made in the image of God. Nothing else in all of creation is made to look like Yahweh, except humanity. That's where our value comes from. Augustine, again, I've told you guys this before, Augustine said that the human heart's like a flower. The love of God is like the sun, and we respond by, what, blossoming and growing and opening up. I have value as soon as I feel loved by God. I I can respond, oh, this, this is what I was created for. The world says you are a sickness. I'm running out of time here, so I'm gonna be quick. The way we deal with mental illness, again, run back through your head a hundred years back of all of the slurs, the ways that we demean somebody, and a lot of times, just 30 years previous, that was a clinical term for somebody with mental illness. Over and over again, psychiatrists and others are having to come up with new terms for mental illness because we keep turning them into slurs. This is the product of the Enlightenment. We believe that brain first, logic first, if I can understand it, that's above all else. And so if you don't have the mental capacity that I have, I see you as less than me. Maybe even less than human. Somebody addicted to drugs, how many names do we have for a person addicted to drugs? Countless or severe emotional wounds. You are your sickness Mark 21, 43, Mark 5, 21 through 43, God says, nope. 
And I'm going long, but this is the most important story of all. So Mark 5. I'll try to go through and minimize the commentary, even though this is such a precious section. Mark 5, 21. Jesus got into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. Jesus went with him and all the people followed, crowding around him. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay for them. But she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She'd heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. Um, I have to interrupt here. There was a common Jewish belief at the time. There was a saying that even the tassels of Messiah's robe would heal. So this is a, with her physical uh, action, she is saying, I believe we have found Messiah. This is not just some random, like this this is an explicit statement of faith. For she thought to herself, if I could just touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately the bleeding stopped and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him, so he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, Hey, sicko, your faith has made you well. Did I read it right? No? Oh, man, public school. Whew. My reading skills. Mm. What does he say? What's the word? What does he call her? Daughter. Oh, my goodness. Familial adoption language. A daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. I'm going to skip the rest, but Jairus' daughter gets raised from the dead. It's amazing. I wanted you to see the context that everyone else, Jairus in particular, is wanting Jesus. Hurry, 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 hurry. And Jesus knows how to stop, how to slow down, and to be present with somebody else who's hurting, that needs to be seen, that needs to be validated, that needs to be told who she is and what she is, that she's not just a sickness It's not on the slides, but it's in your note. I want to encourage you to go through this list of how to humanize somebody. And I'd like for you to really think and pray about this list this week. And then go take action. Go take action on how to humanize somebody. I'm going to tell you one story, and then we're done. By done, I mean we're doing announcements. There was a young man that in eighth grade suffered a terrible seizure and for a time lost all ability to move from the neck down. He had to relearn how to speak, relearn how to walk, a bunch of things. And when I met him, he was in his early 30s and he still um, had lots and lots of struggles. That happened when he was around 12 or 13 years old. He was 17 and he went with his youth group 
to a camp that was on a lake. And they're on a houseboat, this whole big group of youth. One of the things that had happened to him as a part of the seizure is he didn't always have perfect bowel control. And in the middle of the night, he wakes up realizing, 17-year-old young man, think about this, youth group trip, and he's just sobbing because he has soiled the entire inside of his sleeping bag. It's one in the morning. He has no idea what he's going to do. So he just lays there in his own stuff, stuffing his pillow against his face, trying to hold in the sobs. He can see the look on other teenagers' faces. He can hear all these conversations before they happen. I am going to get found out this is the worst possible thing that could happen. Another 17-year-old young man heard him crying and woke up and said, Chris, what is it? And he was a good friend, so he told him. He knew that sometimes he had problems. He said, I've, I've messed myself in my sleeping bag. I, I have no idea what to do. Everyone's going to find out, whatever. And one 17-year-old young man picked up another 17-year-old man who really didn't even have the best ability to walk at the time and got him into the shower and stripped him down and cleaned him like you would your own three-year-old. And he said, Chris, it's going to be okay. No one's going to find out. We're going to get you cleaned up. I have an extra sleeping bag. We're going to get back to sleep. No one's going to know. Do you realize what he's doing when he says no one's going to know? He's putting himself in a different category. Of course I know. I'm here helping and serving. When you say no one's going to know, your shame is not going to come to fruition. What you're saying is I'm in a different category. See, you and me, we're brothers. Me knowing doesn't matter at all. We're going to fix this and it's going to be okay. No one's going to know. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, that is what it looks like to put on flesh inside somebody's life and to humanize them. You put yourself in a different category, a family category, and you say, don't worry, we're going to tackle this. No one's going to know. I'm going to pray for us. How's that sound? Lord Jesus, those of us who love you confess that there is no other worldview offered in humanity that makes humanity as unique and as priceless as what you have offered, and we need help, God. Even those of us who love you, we've got this old self that wants to degrade other people, call them names, be merciless at times. We ask for your forgiveness and we ask for your help. Jesus, for those of us who are still investigating who you are, I ask that you would give the gift of faith today. God, help us to be attracted to a God who sees us. Help us to be attracted to a God who is merciful. He's not a wimp. He still calls sin, sin, but he makes provision for that sin in his cross. Jesus, draw us closer to the Father today. In your powerful and precious name we pray, God's people said.
Amen. Now we're long, so I'm going to do a lightning fast. Everybody that gave this week to disaster relief through Cindy's friend, thank you for your generosity. Second, thank you everyone who came out yesterday at 8 o'clock to help clean up trash off the property to show our extreme gratitude. We're going to invite you to another event. (laughs) Because that trash getting picked up did not trim our hedges. Yeah, talk to me. Great. Show up at 8 because it's probably getting hotter than Hades later in the day. Okay, show up at 8 o'clock on Saturday for hedge trimming. If you guys remember the last time Bruce did this, it's actually quite fast. He chops mercilessly and the rest of us just come behind and get the leaves into the bin. It can be actually quite quick if a good crew shows up. And then lastly, um, we're working on getting a mobile food closet launched and we've got to be able to purge foods that are still good now. But if we leave them in there longer, at one point they will not be good. So go grocery shopping for free. If you don't know the Pringle building, it's the children's building right here and there will be a table set out. There probably already is. Go there and then you get free food. How awesome does that sound? Say yes. That's awesome. Anything else, Melissa? Yes. Yes. Talk to me. Whatever Melissa says, do it. Okay, I won't be long, I promise. This is a bulletin. There's stuff in it. Um, The fireworks booth is coming up at the uh, end of this month. The 20th is when it opens. And we really need some help this year. We we need help every year. Let's just be honest. Um, We've got sign-ups in the back to help for a shift. There's four-hour shifts. um, And you get some perks with it. We try to bribe you to come. Um, And then on the 30th of June, we're going to have fireworks night. Normally it's on a Sunday night, but the 4th of July is on a Sunday, so we're not going to do that this year. We're going to do it on a Wednesday night, so um, just kind of have that in your calendars. Um, And I did want to really express my thank you for those of you that came out yesterday to clean up that property. Um, The Facebook groups that I posted it in through Citrus Heights, our community really felt cared for yesterday. Um, And actually about 25 people on the property cleaning up, half of them were from the community. So um, it was a wonderful time, and I just really appreciate those of you that came out to help clean up, and hopefully hopefully it doesn't get that bad again, so <laughs> we'll keep maintenance going. So that's all I have. Love you guys. Go get food. Go get food.